When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto. I'm Ash Bennington. I'm joined today by Jan Van Eck, Chief Executive Officer of Van Eck Funds. Today, we talk about TradFi, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and exchange-traded products. Jan, welcome to Real Vision. Thank you. It's great to be here, Ash. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, before we get started, tell us a little bit about Van Eck. You guys have been uh, in business, I think, for some 60 plus years. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure. Um, the philosophy of our firm really came from our founder, my father, John Van Eck. And I would describe it, you know, we're not a value shop. We're not a growth shop. We're really more, I would say, a macro shop um, informed by uh, the historical, I would say, perspective that the world around us is changing really quickly. And when you think about portfolios, you have to realize that technology and politics um, is really affecting your portfolio from a longer term perspective. So uh, historically, uh, we were the first to offer a gold fund in the United States in 1968. And at that time, gold was fixed at $35 an ounce. Hmm. So why would you launch an investment strategy against an asset that's fixed in price? And, and not only was it fixed in price, then it had been fixed in price throughout the almost 200 years of U.S. history. And the reason is because the world changes and, you know, things maybe should be in your portfolio that haven't been in your portfolio before. And uh, so that's the, the sort of philosophy of the firm and, and the history around gold. Uh, before that, my father had been investing in stocks outside the United States after that, we got involved earlier, um, as did other people in the emerging markets, the reemergence of China um, and, and uh, you know, opening up of capitalism. But that's our perspective. And that's the, that's the backdrop behind, uh, you know, behind crypto. Yeah, in the 50s and 60s, in, uh, investment outside of the United States in equities was a very innovative thing. Yeah, well, it was also, I mean, it was doable, right? And and the Dutch and the, the British had been investing globally for decades, so uh, or sorry, centuries. So right. it wasn't you know a shocking thing per se. But uh, I think the the mindset back then is almost like the mindset to uh, the same as today. We have leading companies with great technologies. Um, you know, that are really much stronger than the rest of the world. So why would you bother in, you know, going outside our borders with political risk and all this other kind of stuff? And, you know, the premise at the time was that Japan and Europe were going to regain their economic footing and the companies there were trading at uh, valuation discounts to those in the United States. So in many ways, that's a perfect prologue to talk about digital assets, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum. How did you go down the rabbit hole uh, in digital assets yourself? You know, there were a couple of people around me, you know, word of mouth. Uh, I credit, uh, you know, my oldest, uh, my oldest son, Nicholas, but there, you know, there are other kind of uh, people who are really deep into technology talking about Bitcoin. It was it was really, I would call it relatively crazy. Right. In, in 2014, 2015, 2016, very non-traditional. 
Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, it was really early 2017 that I did the deep dive. I said, listen, I, I want, you know, when I run Van Eck, I just want there to be a Van Eck in 10 years and I don't want to get disrupted. I, you know, I think luckily we started ETS in 2006. So we've been part of a lot of disruption of, of active management. So I didn't want to get disrupted. Uh, so I said, what, what is this Bitcoin thing? And I asked my colleagues, and I said, I have no idea. So, you know, you do what everyone does, hit the internet, start researching it. And, um, you know, within a couple, listen to podcasts and interviews of experts. And I came to the conclusion, look, I, I think this technology really does have uh, the potential to be uh, a competitor to gold, a permanent store of value in people's portfolios. And so I said, let's, you know, sponsor an ETF and uh, get more involved. Uh, so this, of course, that you're referring to now is XBTF. Uh, you were one of the first, I think probably the second uh, Bitcoin ETF. Tell us a little bit about the product and what the need was that you saw uh, that needed to be met. Yeah, I mean, listen, people just want access to, uh, to, to Bitcoin. Look, tens of millions of people have bought it directly or through centralized exchanges like Coinbase. The advantages of owning in an ETF form are simply ease of tax reporting, a more secure trading infrastructure, uh, given that stock exchanges are just a little bit sturdier um, or, or certainly were several years ago than uh, crypto websites. Um, and uh, so those and then sort of the regulatory infrastructure that makes it easier for institutions and, and uh, lots of different types of investors to access Bitcoin. So, yes, XBTF uh, is a futures based uh, ETF, so it doesn't quite track Bitcoin spot the way we would like, but it's what the SEC has allowed. So, um, you know, happy to get that to market several years after we have first applied <laughs> Yeah, it was a long application process for everyone who was interested in doing this. Uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, the decision uh, to track the uh, the futures and what that means for investors. Yeah, I mean that that's really driven by the regulators, the SEC, um, the CFTC had approved Bitcoin futures and Ethereum futures contracts. Of course, most normal investors don't trade futures. Uh, but that was the precursor. And the SEC said uh, last year, well, we're, we're comfortable allowing regular mutual funds to invest in Bitcoin futures. Now, whenever you invest in a futures based strategy, uh, you have to realize that the shape of the futures curve really will affect your overall results. And my classic example uh, for that, I think it was in 2006, because of Contango in the futures market, big, uh, oil, sorry, in the oil contracts, oil futures-based funds underperformed spot oil by 20%. So that's the risk that the futures curve can distort uh, you know, the, the experience of investors compared to spot. Uh, you, you know, it's interesting with the tension in Ukraine and Russia, you see that today. It makes sense just to explain it to people that don't think about this all day long. Uh, short term, people are concerned about oil supplies, but in the long term, they figure, well, we'll pump more. Someone will pump more. Right. So that means it's in backwardation. Today's price is higher, closer to $100 than the price six or 12 months out. Uh, Bitcoin is the reverse. When Bitcoin rallies, it tends to uh, the futures prices tend to be higher. So it trades in what's called contango. And so basically it just means so far 
that a futures based strategy performs slightly less well in bull markets and Bitcoin bull markets. In, in flat markets, bear markets, it doesn't really matter. I should say we're filming here on uh, February 24th. Uh, so obviously, this is the day after uh, of the uh, invasion of Ukraine that began last night. Uh, so obviously, a, a very volatile uh, time uh, in markets and energy markets and equity markets, and also in digital assets and cryptocurrency. Um, so, so talk a little bit about who you've seen uh, taking up these products. So you've listed, I think, uh, very clearly what you think the downside risks are, uh, potential distortions, uh, not only in price volatility of the underlying asset, but potential distortions in the futures curve uh, having an impact on returns. Tell us about what uh, some of the advantages are uh, to investing in uh, a futures ETF for Bitcoin. Uh, it's just it's just access right now. Um, so I would I do like to add that in in Europe uh, we've sponsored. They're, they're much more open to uh, offering crypto products. So we have uh, eight uh, ETNs that uh, really just do a much better job of tr tracking the spot price of uh, basically it's Bitcoin. Uh, a bunch of what we call smart tokens, so Ethereum and their competitors. And then we just came out with a, a multi-token ETN that tracks the, the top uh, tokens. Um, so it's uh, th those, those products are more efficiently designed. But to answer your question about who's investing, you know, I've come up with this new um, descriptor. I don't know if it's helpful. I call sort of those Bitcoin 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and 4.0. And I think what the, that mainly means that maybe we're in 2.0 or 3.0. I think that you will get greater adoption. So there will be a 4.0 in our future, but that Bitcoin is an evolving asset. You know, where it is today is not where it was four years ago. And so who's participating from an investment perspective? I still think it's mainly retail and high net worth and maybe family offices. And that's very much what we see with our US ETF and with our European ETNs that track crypto. It's very heavily dominated by retail. Maybe a couple of hedge funds are involved, hmm. but institutions, it's still very early days. And, and a lot of them are, are just not, not yet participating, especially directly in the tokens. What I see most institutions doing is accessing it through venture capital funds or maybe hedge funds. Yeah, we should say ETNs are exchange-traded notes, a different structured ETP, exchange-traded product, uh, which is the superset for all of these uh, assets. Uh, technically, uh, it's a debt security, uh, although it is an asset that underlies it. it doesn't pay a coupon like a traditional uh, a traditional bond or note would. Um, very interesting time. I'm, I'm curious uh, to hear your thoughts about what you see in the potential growth from the institutional space and how you guys are positioning yourselves for that. The whole problem when talking about a disruptive technology uh, like blockchain um, is that you, you it's, it, it tends to be very volatile, number one. And number two is you really don't know all the, all the outcomes and all the consequences. So on the volatility side, I think most people see a chart. If you charted Bitcoin, right, and you know this, against the S&P, it's laughable the ridiculous, you know, the, the return differentials. And so I think you bring that to an investment committee. They say, like, I, I've never seen a fund or a product with this great performance. I have no idea how to how to consume it. And I think the, the answer is, uh, first of all, take it the historical perspective. Look at prior disruptive technologies. 
I, I like to use the railroads, the, um, but you can also look at the internet. And what you see is that of a lot of price appreciation happens before actually the adoption of the technology. So with the railroad, actually, by the time the East Coast and West Coast were connected, you'd already seen this tremendous run up in railroad stock prices, and then a pretty big 60% or so collapse after the actual connection happened, mm. right? Actually, after the revenue was being generated by those trans, uh, transcontinental railroads. So my point there is, with blockchain as well, you have these big run-ups and you have to be wary. And that's what I was saying in the fourth quarter of last year, that that the blockchain, the smart contracts are like any disruptive technology and you have to scale into them over time. And, and people have had a lot of trouble doing that. Hey, if you like this clip, be sure to check out the full interview and more only on realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's 100% free. Sign up now.